A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the MC Universe, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the multiverse and beyond. I'm David. And I'm Jean. Jean, not John? Well, anyway, welcome to the Lorehounds, John. Jean. Oh, boy, this is going to be fun. We're going to get into the background and purpose of this podcast in a moment. In this episode, we will be talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the end of Phase 4, and what to expect in Phase 5. Before we get started, a quick reminder that you can send feedback to mcu at thelorehounds.com for all things Marvel, and we'll get to your emails on the next episode. If you want to talk MCU with us sooner, join us on the Bald Moves Discord server, the link in the show notes, and on the Bald Move website. We have a dedicated MCU channel, and each show and movie have their own moderated threads, so you can jump in at any time without having to worry about spoilers. If you're enjoying this or any of our other shows we're covering, and you'd like to support us directly, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash lorehound. For as little as $3 a month, you can subscribe today and get early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts. Another quick ask. Please take a moment to rate the podcast and leave a review if you feel so moved. Ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast, which helps us make more podcasts. And lastly, we have a few scheduling notes to cover. Over on Bald Move, Jim and Aaron will be unwrapping the last present as part of the annual Bald Move holiday festivities. We've had a fun month of special Christmas-themed podcasts and live stream events. The final podcast is a review of a surprise Christmas classic movie. Check out all the festivities at christmas.baldmove.com link in the show notes below. Also be sure to check out the Bald Move feed for House of the Dragon, where Maester Anthony is continuing his Clash of Kings book read-along. For us in the Lorehounds, we'll be closing out 2022 with four more podcasts. This Wednesday, we'll have our White Lotus Season 1 wrap-up podcast out. It's been a great episode, and we have a lot to talk about. Then, on Christmas Day, a special public release of our normally Patreon-exclusive Second Breakfast, where John and I take Patreon questions and discuss any shows, books, or movies, things that we're not fully covering on the podcast. On the 28th of December, look for our continuing coverage of the Star Wars universe. We had some overflow emails from Andor, which we're going to cover, 
as well as a recap of all of the episodes of Tales of the Jedi. Lastly, on December 31st, we're going to be releasing our next chapter in the Silmarillion story series. We're going to be joined by returning Tolkien scholar Marilyn R. Pukila to discuss the Valenquenta. Okay, with all that out of the way, let's get into our show. So as you heard at the top of the show there, we have Jean, not John. <laughs> and that may be a little <laughs> confusing, but I think everybody will, will get used to it. Jean and I have a long personal history together, especially around the MCU uh, properties. Whenever the, you know, the movies and all the movies during phase one were coming out, all of the Avengers stuff, Jean and I would go to the movies together. And I don't know, you're kind of my, my MCU daddy, I guess. <laughs> and I would come to you. You've read all the comics, you know all the lore, like you're a deep lore expert subject on, on this stuff. So I'd always come to you with my questions like, what does this mean? Who is this character? Why is this happening? And um, we thought that that would be a fun thing to do to bring to the show. So, Jean, um, tell us a little bit. Like, you've read all the comics and stuff. Um, yes, you know, I, I've I've collected comics for most of my life. I've read multiple, you know, comics from different creators and different titles for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been totally immersed in in this stuff for. As long as I can remember, from grade school up until adulthood. Yeah. And so, especially with the MCU things, with the Avengers, with the X-Men, and oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> right. there, are, there are multiple things that are, you know, are really near and dear to me as far as stories go and characters. So yes, lifelong MCU fanatic. I remember after we first became friends, and I, I didn't really know that you had this um, interest in TV and, and movies and comics and stuff. And then I think we were chit-chatting sometime, and it was either Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead. And suddenly, like, we realized that we were sort of kindred spirits with this. And then yes, we'd, yes, yes. We'd text each other during the shows and talk, and we'd call each other up afterwards to talk about Walking Dead, what would happen on the episode, or what happened on Game of Thrones. and then. It was like, okay, that just naturally rolled over to the MCU stuff, because that's when all the, the movies were starting to come out. Yeah, I think um, we, we forged our, our relationship over The Walking Dead. Yeah. And then migrated to Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones, and then, um, then all the MCU things. Um, and now podcasting. And, and now we're podcasting <laughs> about the MCU things. Yes. So um, a little background on what the MC Universe podcast is going to be about. It's going to be an occasional podcast. We're not going to be podcasting on a, on a regular schedule like uh, John and I uh, typically do with a show. We're not going to be doing um, specific episode or movie reviews, but our thought was to provide some meta context for what's coming down the pipeline in the MCU properties. And we kind of wanted to bring that Lorehound's special sauce with John's deep knowledge of the comics to break down the different things that you need to know and how to fit the pieces all together. I mean, I think for me, that's been one of the confusing things with the MCU property is it's so vast that I have a hard time keeping it all together. And that's why uh, we thought John would be a a fun person to podcast with this stuff about. Yeah, I think um, that makes perfect sense because even as someone who is versed in comic book lore and versed in, in a lot of these characters, it's sometimes you have to go back 
to reread things just to see where they're trying to go. Because a lot of things have changed. Um, a lot of characters have changed from what they originally um, were. And so it's very interesting. And it's, and it's kind of fun for me in a way to deconstruct what I've known um, and try mm -hmm. to fit it into what they're currently doing in the um, MC. So it's really cool. Yeah. So we're going to be covering both the TV and movies. And then um, Jean's going to be providing that meta context, not necessarily comic book plotline spoilers or, or, or such, but like, you know, um, like who is this character or sort of what did they do with this plotline just so we can make sense? Because obviously, Jean, as you were saying, they've probably changed a lot to make the stories and characters fit the big and small screens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, origins have changed. Uh storyline plot lines have changed so you may have something you know that like infinity wars differ from the comic book but the underlying story remains but the way that it's being presented is totally different so it's um interesting interesting threads to unravel yeah it makes me think of uh what we uh, talked a lot about during um rings of power with what we called the shippy test which is this um, guy, Tom Shippey, who's a Tolkien scholar and a, you know, and a scholar of a whole bunch of stuff, medieval and literature and whatnot. He gave this famous lecture where he talked about, um, oh, see if I can remember it now. Um, uh, the message in the media is, I think, is what he, he called it. And it's this idea of, are there necessary changes that a TV or movie producer would have to make in order to take what is written, or at least in with comic books, written and drawn, and then to make it work on the medium of television and movies, because there are unique constraints in those medium. So um, we talk about, well, what was the core message of the story, the original intent of the author? And did that original intent get met in a TV or movie adaptation? And then um, if there are changes, were those changes necessary because of budget or acting issues or, you know, scripting to make things flow or, or work right? I mean, I, famously, we can go back to Lord of the Rings and there's some um, lines that Gandalf says. There's a, a, a description of, um, of crossing the sea and, and uh, uh, that Gandalf uh, tells, I believe it was Pippin. Um, which is really something that was originally written in the story uh, around Frodo. And uh, so they had to take that out and move it, give it to a different character. But in the movie, it worked great, and it was a really potent uh, effect. And so there we have a good example of the original intent of the author being met, but at the same time having to move it around in the script. And so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that with uh, the MCU stuff. I think there is, but the one thing that I, I would say to that as well is that a lot of comics can be written by different writers. So you might have somebody drop out, or even artists um, might drop out of a comic book run and someone else pick right. it up. Um, so the themes might change even within a comic book run. Oh, um, wow. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. So most of the time, people try to finish their arcs. But there are times that you know, you can see subtle changes in the way a character is drawn. And as a medium, the artwork also tells the story, right? And, Absolutely. And 
that's that's a big part of, of comic books. So there are scenes in the movies that call back to, you know, the panels on the comic book page. Right, right. But again, you want to have the ability to to say, okay, this is what the original intent intent of the comic was. But there are times when the original intent may not make sense. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because comic books are vi- are visual medium, a, a visual and written medium. And when we're looking at things like Tolkien, you know, that's specifically you know written, and so everything is left to our imaginations. Where comic books are uh, a highly visual medium. So yeah, I think back to like the the Watchmen, which is an iconic comic book title. And, um, you know, I know Alan Moore is, I think he was famously uh, opposed to screen adaptations because he just never felt that it could be properly represented what he was trying to lay down in the, in the book. And I think we had a, a movie and, a, and, a, and an adaptation television series that was like a whole fresh interpretation of, of what he was um, trying to do with that uh, comic. So I think that's an interesting reference point, at least with the HBO uh, adaptation with Damon Lindelof, right? He didn't say, I'm going to recreate the comic book per se. I'm going to interpret it and move it forward in this particular way and give it a, a, a unique point of view, but still try to do some of the same stuff that the, the comic book did, um, visually and story and narratively. I think that's what they... they try to do in the MCU, but I think the MCU adheres more strictly to the comics than the Watchmen um, HBO adaptation did. And right. by the way, Alan Moore hated both the movie and the <laughs> HBO adaptation. Um, so there's that. But again, uh, to see the, the, the stories being told on the screen, I mean, that's what any comic book uh, fan over the last 30 years before um, Iron Man uh-huh. came out really wanted to see. Like, we had movies like Blade in the 90s, yeah. which, you know, the first one was, you know, totally badass um, and really, you know, I think set the tone for what comic book movies could be, um, especially the Marvel properties, because the Batman movies, um, they were, they were fine. You mm-hmm. know, with Michael Keaton, they were okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of those. They were, I think the first one was the best one, and that was fine. Um, but I think the retelling of, of comic book stories with Nolan, and um, I think the MCU took notice of that. Uh-huh. And they said, okay, we can tell these stories in a grounded way, but in a way that makes sense to us because we have these fantastical characters that right. um, people love. And we're going to push the button and say, hey, it's okay to like comic books and it's okay to like superheroes and it's okay to want to see those stories told on the big screen. And I have to give um, the entire Marvel uh, crew credit for actually saying, hey, little Jean, enjoy what you want to enjoy what you've been missing what you've been wanting here it is right and i think that's awesome i think too that there's some some issues with science fiction with fantasy with superhero where we've been waiting for certain technological advancements be able to be able to 
give a reasonable approximation of what you could draw and not actually produce on the screen. And so I think technologically, we've certainly are there now where we can show crazy stuff like time surfing the multiverse and, you know, um, those really superhero special effects and those big fight scenes. Because when you had a kapow or a whammo or whatever in the comic, right, the illustrator could really embellish and have some fun with that, which was just all near impossible. I mean, obviously with the Adam West Batman, which I watched a, a, a good deal of when I was a kid, right, they were able to like, throw in a graphic that said power, wham, or bang, but otherwise their special effects were pretty mundane. Um, but now, like, it's wild what they can do with the compositing and things like Star Wars is doing with the volume and stuff like that. So I think we've reached a point, because I remember seeing some some early, I guess that would be 90s, mid-90s attempts at, at adapting comic books, and they always were a little bit rough, and they they never really f- worked out very well. And you've also got to figure out narratively how to tell the story. You can't just, you can't, you really just can't just shove a, a, a plot and some characters onto the screen. You've really got to do some work. And that's where I think for me, one of my favorite MCU movies was um, Winter Soldier, because narratively, and I think, was it the first Avengers? What was the one where they were fighting at the airport in Frankfurt with Ant-Man when they had the... Civil War. Yeah, Civil War. Civil I really War. Enjoy, Civil I really enjoyed Civil War because they figured out narratively how to get us invested in the characters and in the drama to make it like to really feel the stakes that were that are involved that what these characters are struggling with. Yes, and and that's a great example of of that continuing something directly from the comic books because uh-huh. the comic book story um of Civil War was just totally something that no one expected and the stakes were so high right there were two um iterations of of that story and really you got to see and feel it on the screen especially for me when iron man when tony stark went to the prison and uh-huh. visited um you know falcon and right right and he and that scene and that moment captured so much of what Marvel comics had done for maybe like two years at a t- in, at that time, right. right? This tension between how do we help, right? Right? How do we help, and who decides how we help? And that is a great, great moment in both the comic because I don't think that's ever been really explicitly laid out in uh-huh. that in those terms right. and it's a great way for folks like us to see on screen and to ask that question so how do superheroes help how who polices the superheroes right. who watches the watchmen right. <laughs> you know that, <laughs> exactly. and that that's that's calling back to so much of comic book um history in that one scene um and i thought it was great to actually see it on a movie screen in a movie theater with you know hundreds of other people i think you you know just enraptured by the spectacle and i love the spectacle i remember yeah we would go see some movies together and when we were both living in brooklyn at the time and the theater houses would be packed be lined outside 
And people were just taking all of this in and these like these some nuanced and complex plot points, characters struggling with these issues, sort of geopolitical related stuff. Cause like, and I love that, like, it makes me think about like, well, what would unlimited power be like? And, you know, I have to think of the boys, right? The boys on Amazon really does a great job of going like, what if you had a guy who could fly around and had laser beams shooting out of his eyes? (laughs) What would that really mean? And uh, the boys, takes it to the absurd extreme, but really it right. gives us a, between the MCU and that, we could we can really wrestle with like, what does power mean and how do you use power? What does it mean? And, you know, in each phase of the MCU, I think that's been a, a question as well. Uh-huh. These, you know, very, you know, obviously super powered individuals who can change the course of, of history. Mm-hmm. In, in a minute's time, right? completely changed human history in a minute's time. Um, what does that mean for the world? And now it's going to, it's, we're starting to ask the question, what does that mean for the universe? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we, we, we started for the, from the world at first. What does that mean for us as humans, for mm. humanity, for the earth? And now we've gone to saying, what does this mean for the entire universe? And that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Not just the universe, but the multiverse, right? So the we multiverse, even have that. Yes, we even take yes, it another step. Because yes. we did go to the universe yes, with, uh, yes. with Thanos and all of that. And yes. then now we've like, you know, multiplied that by an infinity factor. And now it's like, woof, here we go. So what does it mean for time, for the past, for the future, for the present? It it, it is so um, all-encompassing, the the stories that can be told, the stories that they are telling. Um, I'm really really excited, really excited. So, you know, you bring up the phasing thing, uh, and I remember a question that I had with you uh, a while back when we were sort of kicking around the ideas for this podcast initially. And I was like, what do these phase things mean? And like, what is that? So like, what's the definitive answer on what phase one through five so far are? Are they they meaningless or do they actually map onto anything in the comic book world? Or is it just a way that they've taken comic, a vast library of, of, of all the comics and then just tried to make some logical sense of them? It's the latter. Okay. Um, And it's... Um, great marketing. Mm. It's a great. It's a great way for people to you know just digest a lot of information potentially. Okay. Phase one. What is phase one? Phase one means these movies. Right. Phase two. Phase two means these movies. Mm-hmm. And now you have those movies, and then you can look at those movies as a whole and say, okay, what story were they telling here in right. phase one? So there's like meta arcs within the phases. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. They're telling stories in each phase. Got I, it. I would say phase one was definitely an introduction, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a way to, to bring these characters to life. Right. In 2008, Iron Man wasn't a very popular um, character. Oh man. He wasn't their most, <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't their most popular um, comic book. Right. He wasn't, he was not their most popular superhero. Right. So it was a risk to, to open up the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Iron Man. Right. 
it was a definite risk. I remember going to that movie and saying, ah, oh, man, Iron Man, how come they didn't give me, you know, another Hulk movie? How come they didn't give me a Captain America movie? I didn't know those things might be coming along. Right. But I was not in the theater saying, oh, man, I can't wait to see this Iron Man movie. I went solely because it was a comic book adaptation. Right, right. Not because of the character. And I would bet that many people did the same. Post the movie, that's when Iron Man became... They lit a match, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That movie was a 10 out of 10 as far as setting a tone mm-hmm. for what's to come. Leaving right. you with expectations of what's to come. Introducing you to these characters and to the potential of what's to come. So, yeah, I think each phase had some sort of destination that they wanted to get to. And obviously, in the first three phases, it was the destination was going to be Thanos. Right, right. The end, the end of everything. And how do we come back from that? Yeah, um, I, I have to say that Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> he sold that. He was the perfect uh, actor for Iron Man. Um, and he was able to take everything that he's had up to that point and, and pour it into that role. And that was a really iconic and, and pivotal, pivotal. I always say, I can never say pivot, pivotal <laughs> correctly <laughs> on these podcasts. So there's your moment of, of pivotal, of pivotness in, in this. Um, but just, uh, and the technology that they brought to that first Iron Man movie, you know, yes. in the mask and, as he's like, you know, with his heads up display and, and all that kind of stuff, it was, it was wild. I think the, the spectacle, I, yeah. I, I go back to that word a lot yeah. when I think of the MCU, um, the movie spectacle. There are movies in the MCU that, you know, the plot may not be all, all of what you want it to be. The storytelling may not be all that you want it to be, but Part of why I'm there, if not most of the reason that I'm there, is for the spectacle. Okay. I want to see these characters that I've read about for 30 years totally go bonkers on screen. (laughs) I want to be in the theater watching and saying, Holy, I can't believe I just saw that. Right. right. And I think the MCU has delivered mm. a thousandfold on that want. Right. It's, it's truly amazing what they've done as far as the visual aspect of storytelling. Right. Which is, what, which is a big part of comic book yes. storytelling. Right. Absolutely. So I can say, ah, this, this didn't make sense. This didn't make sense. A lot of times you read a comic and you read a panel and you're like, why would he, he would never say something like this. She would mm-hmm. never say something like this. Why? Who is this? Like, why is this person in this, in this, in this book? Just the same as you would in the movies, which I find to be fascinating, the correlation between mm-hmm. the story and the visual. Right. right. Because there are some books that I read that I don't, necessarily think the story is great 
but the artwork is just so spectacular right, that you just right. can't. You just you just have to be in awe of the book itself. Right. And I think there are a lot of movies that, for me, the visuals are just so spectacular that I don't quibble as much as I would with other movies, the storytelling. Okay. That's an interesting take. That's really interesting because um, we, can, we can harsh on movies uh, really easily. But if we're doing a comic book adaptation, that's a really interesting consideration because a comic book is a visual is a is a, a welding together of written words and visual uh, you know visual design and uh bringing that to a movie yeah we, you could say oh this particular movie this particular thor movie or whatever was script wise was terrible but visually terrible it was beautiful Let's not talk about Thor too. You know? <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. But there were there were scenes in Thor too yeah. that were just like, oh man, this is so cool. Like I've read the character of Malekith, the Dark Elf. I've seen him on page. I, I've I've seen the stories of him and Thor going toe to toe. To see it on screen, it meant something. Just that, just that part itself yeah. meant yeah. something. And I think that's that's what um, gets a lot of, of folks who have invested, you know, time in, in certain comic books, because not everybody reads everything. Right. But to see the ones that you do read, um, and, you know, Thor is one of my favorite characters. So to see one of the ones that you do read and to see, you know, sequences that you never thought that you would see on screen, it, it, it kind of means something. In live action. Yeah, it means something. All right, well, I think this is a good place for us to take a quick break, because when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about um, a very specific character, Black Panther, uh, and the Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie, because they use that movie to end phase four. And so we'll talk a little bit about what we saw, because it's a chapter ender, right? It's a, it's a, it's a critical pivot point in, in the next set of storytelling. So we'll talk a little bit about Black Panther. We'll talk a little bit about wrapping up Phase 4, what it meant. And then we're going to um, preview a little bit on Phase 5. Uh, so we'll do that right after we come back from this break. Okay, and we're back. Um, Jean, let's start talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, what it means for the end of Phase 4, and then we can um, talk a little bit about what we saw in Phase 4, and then how that's going to play into Phase 5, and then we'll uh, preview a little bit into uh, what we have coming in the next series of television and movie shows. But first off, like we just have to talk a little bit about Black Panther. What did you <laughs> really? think of the movie? <laughs> we really, we really do. Well, um, I'm, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Okay, I, I really did. I, re I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I know there are a lot of a lot of folks who don't feel that the movie did what they wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. But for me, I felt like this is a movie that they had to tell. Right. Like that cast, that crew right. had to deal with this situation in a way that most cast and crews don't deal with. Right. So this is the movie that they absolutely had to tell. And it's a movie about grief 
You know, yeah. and grief, yeah. grief is not cool. <laughs> it's you tough. Know, grief is not cool. It's tough as nails. Mm -hmm. And I think um, if you go into the movie or you come out of the movie with that thought, like this crew, these characters, not only on screen that we're seeing, but the actors and the directors and the production people all had to deal with grief and play out that grief on screen for us. Right. I think it sets a, a totally different expectation of what the movie is. As far as its parole in phase four, I personally thought that phase four dealt with grief throughout the entirety of, of it. Right. Um, if we go to WandaVision, the, the narrative was, was about how the, how do these folks deal with loss? right? Lost of loved ones. What does that turn them into? Does that make them more heroic? Does that make them less heroic? Does that turn them to the, you know, dark side? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's okay so, to mix our they, IP on, on here. <laughs> we do a lot of cross comparison. Uh, 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 so that's, that's the thing, right? How, how do these folks deal with that loss? Um, and I think Throughout phase four, that's one of the questions that kept coming back to me as I was watching the shows. How does Scarlet Witch deal with the loss of her family? Right. Right. How does Gore, the God Butcher, deal with the loss of his daughter? Mm -hmm. How does Captain America, a.k.a. Falcon and Bucky, how do they deal with the loss right of their friend and mentor. Yeah. Right? All of these stories are telling you, are showing us, are asking us to understand grief and the role it plays in the lives of people who seem to have everything that you could ever want. Right. Who doesn't want to fly around in a in a suit <laughs> or be able to punch holes in a wall? Right. You know, who doesn't want to do that? I want to do that. I've wanted to do that since I was eight years old, you know? But <laughs> now it, it, it would be something different if, you know, I was eight years old and grew up to have these extraordinary powers. How do I deal with the loss of loved ones? And I think that's the, for me, that's been the overarching message of of phase four now black panther dealt with so many things that they had to tell they had to tell the story of how wakanda deals with the loss of the king how the family deals with the loss of their brother their son their friend their cousin their uncle their aunt you know their protector so there are so many uh threads that they have to tell in that story and to interject, we as the audience, as real people in the primary world, we have to deal with the loss of Chadwick Boseman. Of Chadwick Boseman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Say his name, right? Like, that guy. Absolutely. <laughs> we had so much more from him. To tell. And, and it's just tragic that given the way, when I think about it, given the way that the folks who made Black Panther given that they didn't know that he was struggling oh my gosh. with his illness oh my gosh. at the time that they made Black Panther, that they made Civil War, Infinity War, no one knew that he was struggling with his illness. Right. And to have that fact hit you after his passing yeah. 
to sit there and know that somebody that, that you loved, um, that you spent all this time with was suffering while making this, these incredible stories. Looking forward to seeing more from him in this role, yes. in this yes. proper, you know, in this story, in these storylines. Yes, yes. So I can, I, I, I don't know how they would have made a different movie. Right. If that makes sense. I don't know how Ryan Coogler could have made a different movie. Right. This is the movie that they had to tell. Right. And I'm glad that they told it. I am happy that they told it because it is a superhero spectacle. And there were, there were some tremendous scenes in, in this movie. The, For sure. The, the, visual, the visuals were just you know, stunning. I have to rewatch it because uh, my spouse and I went and saw it on the theater. And I have to say, okay. the last couple of movies that I've seen in the theater, uh, other than Top Gun, which really didn't require a lot from oh me. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> or I, I think we saw the Downton Abbey movie just because it was like, we need to go out with some friends. We need to go be social in public and we need to go to a a thing and it was like what's playing right now let's oh, you're, go you're much better than i am you're much better than me much better <laughs> all right well we saw the doubt Abbey movie and that was that's what it was and then we're like oh what the hell we gotta go see top gun so we we went and saw that uh because we had a date night and you know we had some child care and and whatnot and then it was like oh man i gotta see black panther on the big screen and i have to say that i was really disappointed in the quality of my screen experience and mm. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to seeing it on a, on a TV screen or on my computer screen because the visuals were just so washed out and the screen oh, no. was just so terrible and it was dark. Wow. And I, I think I really missed out on some of what Black Panther was trying to lay down for me. Yeah, there, there were incredible scenes in, in that movie. Again, like I said earlier, you know, I'm here for the spectacle as well as yeah. the story. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to see um, this underwater domain. I, I, I want to see the, the vibrancy of, of Wakanda. Yeah. You know, I want to see this brand new Black Panther suit that, you know, mm -hmm. differs from the one that T'Challa wore. You know, I, these are the things that, that I want to see and, and I got to see. But again, you know, for the folks, you know, I understand how people would say, ah, the story wasn't that great. Right. I can see it. I can definitely see it. I'm not discounting, you know, those takes at all. But what I am saying is that knowing what we know and knowing how much Chadwick Boseman meant to this cast and crew, right. this is the only story that they could have told. And it's a, and it's a sad story. Yeah. And I, I, I liked that through line of the dealing with grief and loss um, and, and seeing the two different ways, the two different uh, protagonists, well, the antagonist and the protagonist sort of, you know, dealt with that. But the book, the way that they bookended the movie, I thought was uh, really nice as a fan and living in the primary world because it helped me, you know, sort of take stock of, of what Chasma, Chadwick Boseman, you know, meant for us and um, for this industry at large. Um, I will say, Absolutely. though... Count, you know, slight offtake. I think from um, the storytelling standpoint, the one part that really dragged the storyline down for me was the whole CIA, was it Agent Ross? Is that his name? Absolutely. And Agent uh, Ross. Yeah. And the, the director, the CIA director, Julie Louise Dreyfus. Val Valentina Lafontaine. And I had to just, I just had to bracket that stuff because it felt like that's hooks for future things. 
but I just Absolutely. really had a hard time with my verisimilitude on on that story, that element of the story. So yes, absolutely. Valentina is, is being set up as the anti um, Nick Fury, right? Oh, Nick Fury. I didn't right. even realize that. <laughs> That's so, how oblivious I am. Yeah. These things. So so Nick Fury, um, when he went to Iron Man, when uh -huh. he went to Tony Stark and said he wants to start this uh, initiative, right? Right. He was doing it for the protection of the Earth. Right. He felt like, okay, there are things that, that are happening. I'm seeing all of these things that are going on, and I think I need to have a squad together that can save this planet, potentially, if it comes down to that. Right. Right? Valentina is not about that at all. Okay. She is about the protection perpetuation of the power of the U.S. of A. Okay. No matter who gets in the way. Got it. Right? No matter who gets in the way. Okay. So she is the anti-Nick Fury in that way. They're both heading these great organizations, right? But for different purposes. Right. They're serving different purposes. So she's building a team. Okay. Much like Nick Fury built a team. Oh. If you If you remember... Um, if you you watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, unfortunately, I did. I really had right. high hopes for that because I liked yeah. all those characters yeah. involved, and I know yeah, you're not terrible. a huge Mackie yeah. fan. I I like oh Mackie, <laughs> but we won't get into oh. that. We won't get into that. But oh, it was a Mackie. really. I thought it was really one of the. It was the. It was the televisions of the television shows that I watched uh, of that era. Your least favorite it was my least favorite, and it was the least It was the most disappointing for that because I really wanted to see how they were going to roll over the Captain America storyline and have um, the Falcon, you know, because that's a big thing for um, that character to do because he's dealing with his own grief and loss of his best friend. Absolutely. And then to take on this mantle and then all that that means in that world and in our world in terms of um, political and social realities. Um, and right. Yeah, it was really had high hopes for it, and I was really disappointed. Yeah, it, it, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's my that's my quick take, and it's not a, it's not because of solely of Mackie. Let right. me just put that out there right now. It's not because of my anti Mackiness, but <laughs> uh, I did I did not enjoy the TV show. They they set up threads. Um, they introduced Valentina. She was introduced in in Black Widow as well. So she is building a team of anti-Avengers, just as she is the anti- Nick Fury. Nick Fury, she's, she's building an anti-Avengers team. Got it. Um, that will respond to her needs. Right. That the Avengers did not solely respond to Nick Fury. They were altruistic in how they viewed their role. The earth is in trouble. We have to take care of it. Right. This new team that is being built will be sent, in my opinion, um, this is from the comic books, right? <laughs> so they will be controlled by the government to do the government's bidding, which is completely different from right. saving the earth, the Avengers, right? We saw when the the Avengers get into trouble when they started trying to respond to quote unquote normal terrorist threats. 
Exactly. And they, they, you know, they demolished a building and then we have uh, Zakovia and all of that kind of stuff. So these weren't externality, external threats from some space gods or whatever, but these are homegrown threats from the earth itself. And when you're bringing that much firepower to bear, innocent people are going to get hurt. Absolutely. And, you know, Tony Stark creating Ultron, Ultron yeah. destroying Sokovia. Right. And then you have the Sokovia Accords, which is essentially what, you know, they're, they're leading up to. And uh, I, I'll name the, the show is going to be called Thunderbolts, um, which is, you know, the anti-Avengers, which is what oh, the Sokovia I- Accords <laughs> wanted. I didn't know. The Sokovia Accords. Okay. Yeah. So the Sokovia Accords in the Avengers films, they basically wanted to deputize superheroes. Yeah, right, right. And put them under control. Yeah. Put them under control like police officers. This is what you're going to have with the Thunderbolts. Oh. So I'm completely ignorant of the Thunderbolt storyline. I mean, as a generic comic book reader, when I was a kid, I, you know, Iron Man and Thor and all these things were in Hulk are just sort of you know, in my background cognition, but like Thunderbolts, I don't think I, I, I've even ever heard of them until we started, you know, still until people started talking about that MCU is going to be making right. Thunderbolt stuff. So long story short, they're the anti-Avengers, uh-huh. right? They even have, you know, a, a fake Captain America uh-huh. on their team, US agent, right? Which you, who you saw, who you met. Yeah, we, they teased all that in, uh, in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. So he's in that. Um, you have a fake Captain America. You potentially are going to have a, a Black Widow replacement, okay. right? W- who we saw at the end of the Black Widow film when she, they were talking in the in the cemetery, okay? Right. You have you potentially have a, a Hulk replacement in the Abomination, uh-huh. who we saw again in She Hulk, the television story, okay. Right, so so you have all of these characters who are the antithesis of what the Avengers of the Avengers. So, would you say then, Phase Four, we're dealing with grief and loss in in this meta arc, but then there's another arc that is bringing us the Thunderbolt characters to be introduced in Phase Five. What I would say is yes, there are many threads to follow as far as introducing the new characters that will be important in the coming phases. Okay. Phase four, yes, dealt with grief, but it's also about introductions. Not only are you getting the Thunderbolts and you have this sort of, you know, anti-Avengers, anti-Nick Fury type of situation, but you're also being introduced to characters that are going to take up the mantles of superheroes. Right. We've lost everything from phase one to three. Uh-huh. Right. Those guys are not really coming back. Yeah. Iron Man, Black Widow. Uh, who else am I thinking here? Uh, Iron Man, Black Widow. You have Thor, who's out in the cosmos. Out in wherever, right. Now. Vision. We don't know what he's doing. Vision is, you know, might be resurrected. We never know because at the end of WandaVision, there's a vision out there. Right. Right. There's another vision out there. So. You have all of these 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 characters, but they're introducing, they're setting up for the next generation okay. of superheroes and superhero stories. Miss Marvel, Hawkeye, uh-huh. Kate Bishop. Right. 
Oh right, from the TV. That was the other TV show that I enjoyed. Was that that one was kind of yeah. Long. That was that yeah. was great. That, that was that was really camp. It was really fun. That was yeah. a really fun show. Um, so you have Kate Bishop. You have Hawkeye. Kate Bishop is Hawkeye. You have uh, Miss Marvel. You're getting introduced to the concepts of of mutants, which is something we'll go back to talk about when we talk. Um, you know about the and the protag the antagonist of, of Black Panther, right? Okay. So we'll we'll touch on that. Oh right, bit. because uh, he's he's a mutant, isn't he? That's what he said. Okay, all right. That's what he said. So you know you have these characters and the next generation of superheroes, Spider Man, who's still in the MCU, what 19, 20 years old, nineteen right. years old. You know his friends just went off to college. Nobody knows who he is, right? He's all alone out in the world. How long do you think he's going to stay all alone for? Right. He's going to find some, some, somebody has to, you know, <laughs> come along and, and befriend our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right. You know, so he's not going to be, you know, solo for the rest of the three or four movies that he's potentially in. So they're introducing all these characters. You, hopefully you'll see Miles Morales, who is Spider-Man from the Into the Spider-Verse adaptation. Right. Hopefully you get a, a live action. Um, Miles Morales, not just a, a animated character. Right. So you have all of these pieces of what the next generation of superheroes could be and will be. So that's really phase four introduction to characters, just like phase one was. If you think about it, phase one, you were introduced to Iron Man, you were introduced to Thor, Captain America, you got those stories. I believe, to me, Phase 4 is also introducing you to these characters that are going to play large roles in the coming of the MCU. Okay, got it. And I think uh, structurally, just to, to zoom out slightly, at least one of our goals with this podcast and, and, and how we're going to handle things is once we've completed a movie, you know, once a movie has come out and before another title comes up, I think our goal was to fit that interstitial space, kind of recap like we're doing now, talking about what sort of came out of that show or movie, pick up on the key characters or threads, and then sort of preview what's coming in the next uh, television show or movie so that you've got a little bit of a uh, context for what you should be looking for. Or even if they're not dealing it within the next one, you know, you've got some threads to pick up when, when the next round comes in. So we'll, we'll come in in between every title to try to uh, connect and contextualize what it is um, that we've seen and we will be seeing. Yeah, I, and I think that's a, a great way to, to get into and to understand certain things that, that are happening on, on the screen. You know, again, these stories, they encompass so many different variables and so many moving parts. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be, if we, if you want to jump in and, and talk about, um, Namor right now, yeah, let's which do it. is, is super important, right? Because in, in, in comic books, Namor is, is in Marvel comic books, Namor is the first mutant that we ever introduced to. One of the first superheroes that's ever been introduced in in the in the Marvel comic books, right? Okay. Um, he fought alongside Captain America in World War One, as a World War Two. Excuse me. He has a storied history of being integral to different characters within the Marvel comic book universe. 
introducing this character. Kind of like a having, character, I guess. It uh, is, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And having him state on screen that he is a mutant just opens up the entire storytelling of the MCU for things that many people have been waiting to see for many years. Um, it's no longer taboo since Marvel has the rights to these characters to refer to mutants. It's no longer taboo to think about the X-Men because you saw Professor X in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Professor uh -huh. X is the person in the wheelchair. You know, one of the most powerful mutants in, you know, existence. He wasn't from the main Marvel universe, but because we now know that folks are traveling between universes, <laughs> right? And, and you have, you know, the same character, the same person living lives there has to be a Professor X in the Marvel Universe that we've been watching all of this time. Uh -huh. We just don't know how we don't know about him yet. That's the story to tell. How don't we know about these mutants? Right. They have to exist. Just the, his mere presence tells me that he has to exist in this universe. Right. Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four has to exist in this main Marvel universe that we've been watching all this time. Mm -hmm. The Fantastic Four has to exist. If they exist in an alternate universe, you, Marvel Universe 836 or whatever it was called, right. they have to exist in Marvel Universe 616. Right. This gives me tremendous joy and hope <laughs> that, nice. okay. that there are things that are coming mm. that will completely change the visual, the visual medium of movie telling. Because some of these characters are just so fantastically drawn mm -hmm. that to do, if you're not going to do it correctly, you can't do it at all. Okay. So they got a big challenge ahead of them. It's a huge challenge. Right. Because... If you can't do it right, I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Right. Don't do it. Don't don't give me don't give me Galactus as a cloud again. Mm -hmm. For those of you who who know of the <laughs> Fantastic Four about? movies, uh -huh. right? They were Fantastic Four movies made by Fox. Yep. One of the most popular characters ever. In the Marvel comic book. I think Fantastic Four. Yeah, I remember... Terrible. A friend of mine was at that age. He was so into Fantastic Four. It was crazy. And that was like when Star Wars, you know, we, we yes. you know, had seen Star Wars in 77 together. He had all the action figures and whatnot. He was a big comic, bur you know, comic book um, uh, reader himself. And I can... I have the distinct memory that Fantastic Four was so huge in his mental pantheon it was such a yes. big deal yes and and, and the I movies were trash <laughs> they were terrible they were terrible you know one of the again one of the most popular characters ever drawn in marvel comics galactus uh-huh was was visualized as a cloud <laughs> as a cloud like what do we 
how do you even how do you even say to yourself we're going to introduce this character but we're not going to give him to you in the way that he should be done right as a cloud don't do it at all <laughs> just don't do it right if he's not purple and 100 feet tall don't do it shooting laser beams out of his eyes <laughs> don't do it just don't do it so there's a tremendous opportunity here um, going forward, you know, in phase five, uh-huh. I think, to be really, really, really awesome. And again, it goes back to Namor just saying on screen that he is a mutant. Once he says that, that opens the possibilities a thousandfold of what stories can be told. Because now we know for sure that these characters exist in the Marvel 616 universe, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the movies that you're watching. These guys, Professor X, Cyclops, Storm, Ogue, Jean Grey, all these characters, the Phoenix, these things have to be here. Okay. They have to be here. So that's super exciting for me. One more thing I'll say about what I'm looking forward to in, in Phase 5 is the concept in phase five and beyond, but the concept of exploration. Uh-huh. And that's always been big in, in comic books, right? When you're talking about the Fantastic Four, you're talking about space explorers. You're talking, at heart, that's what the comic is about. It's about adventurers, it's about explorers, it's about people um, trying to know the unknown, right? That's really exciting for me to, to think about, especially as it relates to going into the quantum realm, going into the time stream like Loki did right, right, in right. season one, um, exploring these, you know, different avenues of, of characters and how their lives fit and how, you know, they differ in slightly different ways. Um, I think those stories that they can tell, and I'm hoping that they do tell, of exploring the wider universe not just you know undersea you know kingdoms like Atlant- like uh, i was about to say atlantis like a telecon um those are the stories that i want to see out beyond our milky way galaxy right because a lot of what happens with some of these characters that we're talking about that we want to see happens off planet and I'm very, very stoked to see how they play that off. So what's, what do we need to know about Namor other than he's a mute? Uh, is there any other key he, hooks that we... Yeah, he's super important to the Fantastic Four. So just by the very nature of Namor being on screen means for you... Uh, I mean, we can tell it, we can read the, the, the signs here. Fantastic Four is coming. Not necessarily phase five, but maybe somewhere down the road. But somewhere. Okay, got it. I get it. I get it. Yes. I get it now. So some characters necessitate other characters by their very nature. Yes, by their very nature. By their very nature. And I think um, Namor is really important because he's neither hero nor villain. Okay. Right? He's one of those type of characters. You don't know where to to pigeonhole him. He, He doesn't... He moves... Like I said, in the comics, he's, he's 
fought Nazis and he's trying to, you know, sink the entire um, earth underwater. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you know, at different times, he's been different things. And then he, he, yeah, he he directly challenges Wakanda and then changes his mind, I suppose, on that. But then, you know, we get the, an ending uh, uh, comment there that gives us, you know, uh, we're, we're, we have to be suspect of his motives. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing that's true to the comic book character. Right. You never know what he's really thinking. Okay. You never know his true motives. Got it. The one thing that you know is that he's always looking out for his people. Right. Right. At the end of the day. Well, let's let's take our minds now to to phase five a little bit. Um, Marvel Studios has put out a, a kind of a roadmap for what we're going to see, and rather than covering that in its full, let's just talk about what we're going to be getting between now and and the beginning of summer. Okay. Black Panther closes out. That's the chapter ender for phase four, and phase five begins with is it Ant Man and the Wasp? Ant Man. Ant Man. And the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Yeah, and I believe that's out in February sometime. That should be out February seventeenth. Okay, got it. And that's going to be totally badass. Okay, <laughs> Ant Man has been not everybody's favorite character. They've seen some, sort of a, a B plot stuff. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Ant Man movies. They are okay. so offbeat. Yeah, you know, there's there's. The tones have been, you know, so comedic. They're, they're so, they're really fluffy movies for the most part. And okay. I think that's okay. Right. I think that's okay. I've, I've enjoyed both Ant-Man movies. So with Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's going to be called what? Quantumania. What are, yes. what is the story elements or threads that they're going to be introducing in that, that we need to pay attention to? Why is it important? Why is that a important title? Well, it's all about Kang. It's all about Kang. Yeah. It's all about Kang. I just saw the trailer you sent me the other day, and I, I was like, wait, is that Jonathan Majors? And I was like, yep, yes. it was. It's all about Kang, and it's not about who remains. No, it's all about Kang. So Kang, once you see that he is introduced into the Marvel Universe, that's setting up threads possibly for characters like Reed Richards because he is a direct descendant of Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. These are the sorts of things that once you see and you have a little bit of understanding that that you've read these characters, that you sort of say, okay, are they connecting these dots? And that's the exciting part to see if those docs actually do connect. Well, it's interesting because I have a little bit of MCU fatigue myself. I have not watched a lot of Phase 4, but it will be cool if they're actually starting to bring these threads together because then that gives me a different kind of excitement and a different kind of interest to find these um, these through lines from all these different properties. To see, as you say, the spectacle, to see how they do it as much as what they do with it. Yeah, and I think that's that's really um, a good focus of, of the MCU has brought in a lot of, of people to, so much. to read. Yeah. To read those those original comics, you know, to see if they can find similarities or the, or the differences in characters and 
horse stories. And I think that's been a boon um, for the comic book industry, uh, quite frankly, that the movies have, have sparked an interest in these characters. Right. And people want to see them on page as well. So I think that's really awesome. Um, but again, Kang is really different from Thanos, right? Right. He wants to rule. He wants to control. He's not out to really save anything. Right. Um, okay. He's a conqueror. And that's, you know, his base desire, right, is to control time. And through his control of time, he controls everything. So that's, and that, that bridges the Loki storyline into the Ant-Man and Wasp storyline here. Right. Um, as we saw in Infinity War, you know, when Ant-Man returns post the blip, right? Uh-huh. He comes back and he says, you know, time moves differently in the quantum realm. Right. Right. That was our first inkling. And they went back in time in that movie, if you Uh remember, to, you know, went back in time into the 70s, into, you know, Captain America and Iron Man. They they met Howard Stark and all of these things. They went back. Hulk went back to the original Avengers movie where he met the Sorcerer Supreme. Right. So... The quantum realm moves differently. Right. You're able to manipulate the time stream in, in ways that no one knew existed. Got but it. now that they know, what does that mean, right? Kang is a character that controls time. Okay. And if he's in the quantum realm, why is he there? How did he get there? Um, why is he still there? Okay. And is he manipulating things? Right. Has he manipulated things? Those are the sorts of questions that I have um, going forward, going into the movie. Got it. So we'll see that um, in the movie there, and then we'll pick up uh, uh, another podcast from there for sure. Then we've got, we just got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer dropped, but we also have Secret Invasion happening sometime. We're not sure. We don't have a release date for that. That's a television show? Question mark? Yeah, so Secret Invasion... Yes, yes, yes. It is a television show. Um, okay. Sometime in spring 23. Okay. Um, and that is about, um, like I said, Secret Invasion. Um, in the comic books, uh, Secret Invasion was when the Skrulls right. invaded. The, the, shape cha- the shape changers that we the saw shape in, shifting. in Captain Marvel. Yes. So they invaded the Earth. How they invaded the Earth is that for many, many years, they had replaced certain superheroes. Okay. So superheroes okay. whose stories, we were reading superhero stories, not knowing that those superheroes were actually scrolls. Wow. Okay. For many years, Secret Invasion was the culmination of that. Okay. Um, and how that information got out and how the superhero community fought to defeat the scrolls. That's Secret Invasion. So you have, I believe it's going to be Nick Fury as the, as the main character, but we, we don't know much else about who else will be involved in, in the show. Fair enough. And then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, do we know what that's going to be dealing with at all? That's going to be out in early May. Yeah, so they've been pretty tight-lipped up until the, the trailer dropped uh, uh-huh. this like two days ago we know that 
you know, there's a character called Adam Warlock who is going to be integral to to that part of the to that um, movie. Uh huh. And it's so it's it, it's really something because he was integral in the comic book story of Infinity, mm-hmm. um, Gauntlet, Infinity War, if you want to call it, in the comic books. So he was taken off the board in the movies, and he's being brought on board in the Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's a really interesting character, space character. Uh, he's not Earthbound. These are all stories that are cosmic in scale. Mm-hmm. So we're getting things that are vastly different. I saw in the trailer that they have a character called the High Evolutionary, um, who is also a scientist who basically just has been able to create um, all sorts of offshoots of of human beings in the comic books. I don't know how it's going to play out in the movie, but he's a very um, important and powerful character as far as being able to manipulate entire species, change them on a whim in order to subjugate them. He wants to study, and he created a, even a, a, a counter-Earth Right, which is a direct um, replica of our Earth, uh-huh. but it orbits the sun from the other side of the sun. Okay, so it's a it's a it's like a, a reflection of our Earth. Okay, that is totally bonkers, um, and the people who inhabit counter Earth are often you know sentient animals. You know, okay, like bulls. Oh, and wait, frogs. I saw that in the right. in the trailer. Uh, we definitely yes. see some sentient animal things. Yes. And to play off on that, uh, and, and uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, where Scarlet Witch goes, Mount Wondergore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where she, you know, opens up the, the portal uh-huh. and she becomes her, her overpowered self. Right. That, that actually exists in the comic books as a region where the high evolutionary did his experiments. Okay. So there's, there's a, there's a direct correlation. And the last two things we want to take a quick look at are something called echo, um, which I have no knowledge of whatsoever. And then we've got Loki season two, and both of those are coming sometime uh, summer next year. Well, echo is a, is a fairly new character. Okay. Um, She's also a mutant. And she played a, she was in the Hawkeye series. Okay. So she plays a role in mutant history. So I'm be interested to see if she introduces another um, chapter in trying to get the X-Men and, and those stories um, being told in the MCU. Got it. Okay. So her evidence is another bridge crossover character. For these other, that's that's what I think. Okay, um, they haven't Got said it. that she's a mutant yet. Okay, but in in the comic books, she is, and that would be what the fan expectation would be. I assume is because you put that name out there, it, it has certain connotations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, she's a fairly new character. She's not like a, a decades old character, like you know some right. of these other um, that we've we've spoken about. She's fairly new to this. Um, last 10, 15 years. Got it. And then we've got Loki uh, coming season two, and I assume that that's going to be dealing more with Kang and the multiverse stuff. 
Yes, and that's also in the summer of 23. Yeah. So, I mean, if you didn't love the the first Loki TV series, then we can talk offline. <laughs> but, <laughs> Meet us but, on the Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Or send us yeah, an email, us on, MCU. Yeah, at, yeah send uh, an email, send an email, and yeah. you'll get a response. <laughs> um, so this this Loki uh, season, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh-huh. And I don't really know where they're going to go with it. Yeah. I really, I'm, this is the one that I'm, I'm just like, huh, what did they do? Because I know how it ended, season one, but now that we're getting Kang and Quantumania. Yes, yes, yes. What, what does that mean for season two? Where does the story take them? Right. And that's something I'm really interested in and in finding out. Like, I really don't know what to expect out of Loki season two. Because the character that I was sure was going to be integral to that um, show, we're getting in the movie of Ant-Man. Right. So these are the sorts of things that make me want to, you know, watch even more because is it going to connect? How How do they connect it if they do, or do they keep them separate? Right. Well, I think that's what this podcast is for, <laughs> is to help, right. help us analyze these interconnectivities. And so, like, when we come back in between Ant-Man and, say, Secret Invasion, we'll probably have some better ideas about... We'll have some answers. Right, exactly. What was laid down in, in Quantumania, maybe some trailers, we'll have some, I'm sure, some PR and press that we'll be reading and analyzing, and then we can start to lay some track for, for what Loki 2 we might expect. And, you know, this is, this leads me to, to, you know, say to folks, you know, I'm, again, I am a big proponent of, of comic books and I still collect. Yeah. This is what the, the medium does, right? You get a comic book every month, sometimes every two months, and you don't know where the story is actually leading. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have, sometimes you have a story that's being told over multiple titles, right? Yep. Like you might have a, a Captain America story that starts in Captain America, the comic book, but there are elements of that story in Falcon. There are elements of that story in an Ant-Man or Iron Man comic book, which is much like they're doing in the MCU. Mm-hmm. There's a story being told, but it's being told over multiple projects. And that's really a hard thing to do, but I think they're doing it well. Right. I really think they're doing it well. Cool. Well, I think it's a good place to, to wrap up. Uh, Jean, thanks very much for being oh, willing Thank to, you for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Um, I mean, when John and I were talking about it, you know, and we're looking out at all these different huge IP properties, right? You know, we've got Lord of the Rings, we've got Star Wars. You know, you can't talk about these juggernauts if you're not talking about Marvel. And John isn't a big, as big a Marvel fan and, and doesn't keep up. I mean, it's so hard to keep up with all this stuff. Well, for everything, yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I, I think we're kind of lucky to, to have you and, and your expertise um, to help us thread all these things together. So, again, just to reiterate, our plan going forward is to come to show up in your feeds in between these various titles 
so that we can do this analysis and uh, prediction kind of stuff. And as we have more to talk about, we'll have some more meta-analysis too. So we'll really be able to tease out the threads and, and talk about like, what is it that they're trying to say here? What is it that Marvel Studios is trying to pick up that the comic book authors wrote and drew? Things like grief, things like loss, things like power, things like... Exploration, exploration. exploration. Yeah, all these kinds of things. So we can get into those a little bit more uh, where we didn't get to... We, we got into some stuff, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in a little bit deeper in, in future, just given that this is our sort of setup podcast for this. I think that's a great idea, and I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun doing this. So um, just a few programming reminders. Remember, check out um, Bald Move, our uh, podcast parents. Um, they're wrapping up their Christmas festivities. And um, be sure to check out um, Anthony, Maester Anthony over House of the Dragon for his Clash of Kings book read-along on, on Electric Bookaloo. And uh, John and I are actually going to be appearing on um, his podcast sometime in January. We're going to be picking a chapter with Anthony and then doing a, a deeper uh, reading and analysis of that. And then, of course, we've got our White Lotus Season 1 wrap-up coming out and a uh, second breakfast uh, episode that will be out on uh, Christmas Day. And then um, a wrap-up of some Star Wars stuff and covering Tales of the Jedi. And then our uh, Chapter 2 in the Silmarillion stories, where we're going to have um, our friend Marilyn Arpukila helping us break down the Valenquenta. Jean, um, thanks again for being here with us. And everybody, uh, hope you've had a great holiday season. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. MC Universe is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback to mcu at thelorehounds.com. Connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>